Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Show, where our mission is to inspire, influence, and impact other immigrant entrepreneurs to follow their dreams and create the future they want. My guest today is Melanie Balki, the owner and founder of the Email Marketers Email Agency. Melanie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ali. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for, I know how busy you are, so thanks for making the time and coming coming to the studio to record this podcast. I don't know if that's a good thing to be busy. I feel like if I was a better entrepreneur, I'd be less busy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay. So, Melanie, today we are in Los Angeles. I'm, I'm traveling here. I ended up being here for a few days and ask you if you if you could, because you are in L.A., I ask you if you could do this um this session here in person, which I usually prefer way more than doing it remote. So um, yeah, give us give us a quick idea or our listeners and viewers a quick idea of who you are, where you were born and how you ended up being here. I love that. Um, so born and raised in Germany. That's the fun fact I always start with when I speak with people here. I, you know, really went to college in Germany and left Germany only when I was 26. I tried a bunch of different places. I always kind of knew I wanted to leave Germany. So um, during my bachelor's there, I went to Hawaii. During my master's, I went to Australia, always driven by by surf predominantly, to be honest. Um, right after high school, I did an internship in New York. So I tried a couple of places, but then when I finished my master's, decided that LA was going to be the place. I had a lot of family here. I still have a lot of family here. Um, that's why I don't really have so much of a German accent, but I can do it if you want it. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, I'd been coming here since I've been a kid and when I was 26, decided to move here. First worked in um, in-house for an e-commerce brand and then eventually for an agency and then eventually accidentally started my own thing. That's awesome. Okay, I feel we could we could end the episode right here because <laughs> because you gave us all the answers that I was going to ask you. Uh, there's so much more detail in between. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so um, you know, I would like to go back in time and learn a bit about what was it like when you when you came here. So you obviously had had family here, but I believe it was not just like easy from the get go when you came to Los Angeles in a you know, the size of a city that we, that we all know. What was it like coming to a new city and having no idea what's going on, although you have visited here, but now you're coming to live here, to move here? What was it like? You know, I felt like I knew L.A. because I had come a lot and visited a lot and my family lives here and I had a system here. But visiting a place and moving to a place are two very different things. And so when I moved here... One, the city is so expensive. So even after finally I got my job, I did the math and I was like, yeah, I can't afford anything here. I can't even afford my own car payment, you know? So uh, that was tricky, just realizing how expensive it is to to survive in a big city. Like, how do you even pay rent? Like, rent is like 70% of my paycheck. <laughs> um, and also just building a social system was, was mm -hmm. really challenging I'm a very social person and you know up until then you're in high school where you have friends because you're in high school together and then you're in college and you have friends because you're in college together and then you're in your professional life and I worked for a small company so it was like 
you know, 10 people maybe. None of those, they were all cool and I loved them, but none of those became like my hanging out after work friends. So I think those were the two things I struggled the most with. One, like financially how expensive it was just to survive in the city. I mean, there were days where I was like, okay, can I afford to fill up my gas tank right now or can I not afford to fill up my gas tank to go to work? Um, And the second thing was just finding friends in my tribe, which I think especially in LA can be difficult because it's a different culture than Germany. It's a lot more superficial, and it's just a huge city. And also very faster. Everything way is faster. so much faster. Way faster. And, like, what was hard, too, is, like, you know, when I came, I'm, I'm again, I'm very social. I'm not scared to go out and meet new people. So what I would do is I would go to, like, networking events. Sometimes I'd convince my cousins, like, do you guys want to come? Let's go. Let's go so I don't go alone. And some of them would come, and sometimes they would come, and sometimes they would not come. And then, you know, I'd meet, like, one person at a networking event. And then that person and I would just stay in touch. And then I would meet that person months later somewhere at a different event that was, like, a music event. And then they would introduce me to one person. And then I'd meet this person. And then a year or two later, that person would become my best friend. Mm -hmm. So it is very fast. But the actual formation of connections here is very slow takes a long time versus in Germany you know if you and I see each other at a party and we hit it off and I'm like Ali let's exchange numbers and hang out we'll exchange numbers and we will actually hang out here that is much more an empty statement where you need multiple multiple meetings to actually forge a strong friendship so you know I had cool acquaintances very early on but to find like my tribe took me like three four years minimum Right. Is it is it fair to say you get to you get to meet people way faster, but the connection or the relationship is the, is not as deep and you maybe not really get to know them? Yeah, 100 percent. So the first connection, it happens way faster, but you don't go as deep as maybe people go in Europe when you get yeah. to meet someone and get to know someone really. I agree. I think even in like. When you do forge the friendships, going deep is less common. Like there's a lot mm. of friendships here in L.A. that, you know, I call like party friends. Right. These are people I see when we go out and we have a good time. Uh, or these people I'm going to call when I'm broken down on the highway. Mm-hmm. I think there is there is you have a bigger social circle than you would in Europe. And you have to remind yourself that the bigger social circle is not all equal. There are acquaintances, there are friends, there are good friends, there are really good friends, and then there's really your tribe. But there's there's different levels of expectations you think, I think you should have with people too. I understand. Okay, so let's go back and tell us more about the first job that you got here coming to LA. How did you get it and what was it? Yeah, it was funny. So in, in Germany, I had worked in consulting, which is a very you know, esteemed industry. Like I worked with huge brands like BMW, not BMW, Mercedes-Benz and Smart. Um, BMW is the only one I didn't work with, although I like their cars the best. So this podcast is sponsored by BMW. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not. We're just sharing. <laughs> I'm just, just kidding. sharing personal experiences. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, so I felt like I would come here and, it, and you know, it. I should be should be easy to find a good job. But mm-hmm. one ha- thing had happened, which was when I was working in consulting, I found that 
when I worked with a startup project, it was a lot more fast paced and I could actually see the results of my work much quicker. So I decided, okay, when I move to LA, I'd like to join, you know, something young, a young company, and I'd like to be in the techie type of space. And for me, e-commerce was type of the techie space. So I joined after like four months of searching and my mom like... What year was that? That was 2016, I think. Okay. 2016. Mm-hmm. After four months of searching and my mom being like, you should go home. You're not finding a job here. No one wants to hire the weird German girl. You know, like I graduated from like the best business school in Germany. Mm-hmm. But no one knows that here. Like no one has ever heard of that school. So uh, it was a little harder. And eventually I found a job. And I remember I wanted this job so bad. And it had been, t- I, you know, I'd been looking for a job. And in the times that I was looking for a job, I was doing continued self-education. So I was like going to like product marketing, product manager classes and networking and nighttime classes. And after four months, I was like, I really need to find a job mm-hmm. because my mom, you know, she's she's losing faith. Mm-hmm. And I need to like and I'm 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 like, I want a job. I'm bored. Mm-hmm. And so I went to this job interview and I remember I brought a hundred page PDF presentation that was a complete review of all of their marketing that I could find wow. online. So I'd made a whole presentation, like it took me like 10 hours or so to put it together. And I remember in the car on the way to this job interview, I had to hype myself up. Mm-hmm. So I was hyping myself up mm-hmm. so aggressively in this car that by the time I got to the job interview, my voice was kind of <laughs> going away. <laughs> so I got the job, which was cool. And it was essentially, I was the first marketing hire for one of the first e-commerce D2C brands to sell sofas. So this was way before COVID and way before people were much more willing to spend $2,000 on the internet with a stranger to have a sofa delivered Mm -hmm. they've never seen. Mm -hmm. But they were growing fast. And so I joined as the first marketing hire, like the first real marketing hire besides the co-founder. And really kind of like a typical consultant came in and looked at everything they did and said, okay, this is where we should be improving and what we should be attacking. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you came in with, I mean, obviously e-commerce is something that, you know, it's pretty much regardless of the, of the local market where you're, where you're operating, but it's something that you can adapt, you know, regardless of if you're in, in Germany, if you're in the U S Australia is pretty much, the same, I would call it process systems that is in place. But now you, you're, getting, you're getting to do things that you haven't done before, right? It's a new environment, new also, also culture, because I believe when you get into a new work culture, it's different probably than what you had experienced in Germany. Mm-hmm. So um, was it easy to go or was it something like you had, you had, you were struggling a bit in the beginning What was it like? I actually think coming from Germany was a benefit Mm -hmm. because the Germans are so strict in everything, right? So for me, all I got to do was relax more because I joined an American startup. And I'll I'll never forget my, the CEO, the the other co-founder of this company, who I love, who I admire, who I often think of as a great leader. um, He would, he would joke and he would say, when we would sit down together to talk, I would just go into the work stuff and say, okay, I know, I know you can't wait to talk about the work mm-hmm. stuff, but how are you? What's new in your life? And that wasn't really something you do in right. Germany. Like you, your professional relationships, very professional. Mm-hmm. And 
it was funny. He was always like, okay, okay, like I know you want to get into the work stuff, but how are you? Mm. How's your personal life? Mm-hmm. That and like even the way I dressed was different, right? right. I dressed much more button up. Like mm. everyone was joking about the girl mm. with the loafers and the, I'm actually not wearing one today. Normally I wear them like, you know, the polo right. blouses. Uh-huh. Um, everyone else was just in a sweater. So mm. I, for me it was cool because I got to relax a little mm. bit more. Although I do miss that. I kind of miss the sharpness of Germany right. a little bit. Um, so that that was a difference in culture. And yeah, it kind of worked in my favor, I think, though, in this case. I could see that the other way around. It would probably be really hard if I, I was born and raised in mm. America and I suddenly go to Germany and they're all really buttoned up and strict and, and no one asks you about your personal right. life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, you, you get to work in this in this company and then what happened from there? So I worked for Apartment 2B, um, which was really cool, but eventually I felt like I had reached a growth plateau and I really wanted to learn. I was really hungry to learn. After how long? It was like a year, a year okay. and a half or so. And I had, it was a total coincidence, I was on LinkedIn and there was this one marketer and he would always post LinkedIn posts and I found them really cool. And so I just reached out to him and I said, hey, I really loved your last post. And he replied back and he said, hey, we actually have a position open. Would you be interested in interviewing for this position? And I said, yeah, sure. And so um, my first job when I started here was $50,000 a year. And I got gotten a raise in the course of that to $60,000 a year. And then the this new opportunity came up and I interviewed with them and it was really cool it was an agency an agency at that time growing really fast so it reminded me of consulting a little bit like the fast pacedness and they were looking for growth strategists and I had this I had a skill set specifically for email that they were missing in their company and so I joined them and I kind of like hardballed when they asked me how much I wanted to make I wanted eighty thousand dollars and then I went dear god and they were like, yeah, that's okay. And mm-hmm. so that was the first time I'd actually started making like money, like good money, where I was like, oh, cool. Now I can go do cool stuff. You know, mm-hmm. now it's not just about can I fill up my gas tank? Now mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I can go to Coachella or like do all these fun LA things mm-hmm. that when you're from Europe, you want to do. Nice. And also, obviously, your lifestyle changed a little bit. Would you say when your lifestyle changed, you maybe got got to a network of other people you now get to meet other people you expand your network you elevate somehow your lifestyle and everything that comes with it 100 percent. i think getting that opportunity was awesome for two reasons one i was in this agency with two young founders who had built a i think they were multi-million within a year agency Because one of the founders had such a huge community mm. and was posting so much good content that we were like flush with leads. And so I had this really fast growing agency with these two very entrepreneurial bosses, but they also kept hiring really young and hungry kids. Mm. And so I was surrounded by really young and hungry kids at this agency all the time. And I was seeing a lot of businesses with young and hungry founders that were working with us. And so that was really cool because it uplifted my entrepreneurial spirit. And I actually, just because I was so inspired by them, I started this thing called the Big Wave Surf Survival Course. I was like, I'm a surfer. I would love to learn how to ride bigger waves. Um, I know there's training in Australia for this. There's nothing like this in LA. I'm gonna start it. 
And mm-hmm. so I put together a website. I went and I found a freediving instructor. He's actually a USA champion. And I said, can you put this course together with me? And he said, yes. I'm like, how much are you going to charge? He's like, this much. I said, cool. We found a place to rent for the course. Oh. And I just put up some Facebook ads and we got attendees. And I think I broke even. Maybe I made like $2,000 on mm-hmm. it. But it was cool because it was like I felt so inspired. I mm-hmm. had this this fire from from being around people. So that was one thing. And also, yes, now I made better salary. And it's interesting. Suddenly I hung out with people who were also making better salary. So when I was at my first job, I had this really cool community of surfers. But, you know, we were all kind of making this this level of income. And suddenly I was making better income. And now suddenly I was attracting newer friends who were also making better income. That doesn't mean like I didn't hang out with the surfers anymore. It just meant like I suddenly had different pockets um, of friends. I don't know how that happened. Right. But but right. it just naturally, I think doing these events, you know, I think you just meet other people. And I also believe because I have done that also in my professional and personal life before, I believe when you do this event, now you're the host, right? Now you're the cool kid that everybody wants to get to know and hang out with. So you automatically elevate your network, Mm -hmm. but also the way people, you know, are attracted to you or you're attracted to them. Now you get everybody wants to be friends with you because you're the host that is putting this event together. I believe the money part, at least in my case, when I was doing personally before I did it professionally, was like not not the most important thing and the reason why why I was doing it until it became the most re- most important thing why I was doing it because then you know it was a business yeah. model so I believe that's another thing okay so you're you're with this agency you're, you're having a good life you're making decent money and then what was the, what was the next step well I was going through a lot of self-development courses at the time too mm-hmm. which was really cool and that made me even hungrier for like, you know, like knowing my worth and, and I don't know, all this stuff. But I was just hungry and I was good at my job. Uh, I worked the long hours. Like I would work till 11 p.m., start at 8, work till 11. Would you go to the office? Yeah. Okay. I work in the office. The office was in Venice. So for me, that was also really cool because I loved Venice. Mm-hmm. That was like always the place I wanted to be. And my first job was in North Hollywood, which is like, not a cool spot in LA to be right. and very far from where I lived. Mm-hmm. And because for me, the cool spot was Venice, right? right? I'm sure for other people, by the way, they love Hollywood and North Hollywood and West Hollywood. So I should say for me personally, mm-hmm. I love the West side of LA. Um, and I wanted to be in Venice. So the office was in Venice. And I was like, yes, we're doing this I'm with this hip, cool company. And I was just putting in a lot of hours because one, I was learning so much, which I loved. And two, I wanted to prove myself. And um, I got more and more and more clients. And, you know, I never said no. So my, my plate was pretty full. Um, and then I think what happened was scaling agencies is really hard. And I run one now. And I have a lot more compassion for back then now mm-hmm. that I run one. Because whenever a business has a low entry to barrier, scaling it is very hard. And that's what hit that agency too. So we had one co-founder who was doing all the marketing and he was really good at it. Mm -hmm. And we had one co-founder who was supposed to do ops but was doing sales predominantly all day. And so what happened is ops was left on the table. Like no one was doing ops. And when you don't focus on ops in your agency, your agency 
cannot survive because I think operations for agencies is the most important thing. And so issues started happening, right? Like people were burned out. Mm -hmm. I was definitely overworked and people had too many clients and clients were being unhappy and then sales was just selling anyone because sales was going for growth. There was a mismatch and it just, there was turmoil, right? And so I had made the decision that I was going to leave the agency and I was going to travel um, and I was going to recover from burnout and I was going to freelance because I had had through that agency people come up to me and be like, would you freelance for us as a brand? And so I was like, this is cool. I can make as much freelancing for two, three brands as I do at this agency working with 15 brands. Plus, I don't really feel like the agency's going the direction I want it to go and a lot of my friends are leaving and so I decided I was going to leave and about two weeks before I was supposed to quit I actually got laid off Oh wow! Um, because they were like you're the most expensive employee mm-hmm. we have so I had negotiated in that year year and a half that I was with that agency from 80,000 to raise to 90,000 because I knew how much money I was mm-hmm. making them right I could see the numbers and um but back then, you also don't know. This is what I know now as a business owner, right? Back then, you're an employee. You're like, I'm making them this much money. But you don't see the other expenses they have. <laughs> yeah. You know? You're not actually making them that much money. They're you, keeping like 20% of that. You see what's coming in. You're not seeing what's going out. Exactly. So now, again, I look back at those times mm-hmm. fondly, and I'm like, man, you you have so much more compassion and appreciation for what they did now that I'm doing it. But... um yeah, so I got I got laid off. I got fired, which also, listen, I, I should have seen it coming. I had a lot of arguments with one of the co-founders around how ops was being run, mm-hmm. um, which is probably not a good good mm. thing to do with one <laughs> of the founders of the company. Right. And I was the most expensive employee, and so I got laid off, and I just started freelancing. So, okay, what what did it feel like? You know, you, now it sounds e- easy and light when you talk about it. But I'm not sure if it was the same thing that you felt back then. What was it? What was it like when they told you, "Hey, Melanie, you know, let's have a chat," and then, yeah, you know, you're done. Yeah. So, what did it feel like? You know what's funny? You would think that because I was like, "This company's doomed. I'm leaving in two weeks. I have my future secure," that it would have felt whatever, but it didn't. Like, even mm-hmm. though I wanted to quit and I wanted to leave the company even though I already had clients I was going to work with, even though, you know, I really didn't feel like they were a good fit for me anymore either, it still felt really bad. Like, I really remember, like, driving home and sitting at home and going, wow, am I a failure? Mm. You know, like, the, the feeling of being not good enough and being a failure, even in the context of me wanting to leave the company, having a secured future, was still super prevalent like I remember it it took me even like two weeks to get over that um yeah how did you get over that um I don't know I think I just allowed myself to feel the feelings Mm -hmm. and for me personally when I am learning and doing and I feel like I'm doing my best that's when I most feel like I can keep my feelings of not good enough or imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. at bay um like for me it's in the doing and the learning you know Mm. the more information the more information i have the more i feel safe in that i'm doing the right thing so for me it was kind of like 
just going back to the freelancing and learning and ensuring my clients are happy, that really helped me. But listen, it's still uncomfortable to say that I was fired from a job. Right. Like that's still not an easy thing for me to say out in the open. Mm-hmm. Even though I would say my journey turned out pretty successfully, um, it still is an uncomfortable thing to be like, yeah, I got fired from that job. Not fun. Mm-hmm. And I also believe, you know, looking back now where you are right now and all the things that happened one after the other, where we will get into in a few minutes. I believe it's different than when, when you're really in it. You know, now you get fired, of course. So many years later, looking back, oh, it's like, yeah, it's a good thing. It happened to me, right? Everything that came after was, was a good thing, more or less. More but, or less, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when it happens, you're like, okay, they fired me. Now I don't have a job. Now I don't, I, I have these, I have these clients, but I'm, I'm not sure how much I'm going to make and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I completely resonate with that. Okay, so getting or, you know, getting fired and moving away and now working with your own clients, was that also, you know, speaking of financials, are you now making as much as you were making when you were working with the agency or less or more? I think I was making like... At first, it was like one client, so I was making about $4,000 a month, which this was while I was in Bali, just surfing and living life. And, you know, working with one client takes me, what, like four hours a week? Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. That was a great return, right? Um, it wasn't quite as much as with the agency, mm-hmm. but I also didn't need quite as much yet. And then I got a second client, and now I was making, like, mm-hmm. suddenly $10,000 a month. And that was more than I was making with the agency. So now I was making $120,000 a mm-hmm. year. That was like nice, you know? So, um, yeah, I finally was able to like fully pay my own car payment and take over. My mom was helping me out throughout a lot of this journey, which is, I think where privilege comes in, right? Like I mm-hmm. had the privilege that my mom was helping me as much as she could. Uh, it's not like it was easy for her, you know, right. she had her own challenges in mm-hmm. doing that, but I had a super supportive family that I think, believed in me Mm. um so i was able to like start covering all my own payments and finally be fully self-sufficient and actually pay for the rent where we were staying at you know and 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 my mom didn't have to pay any of that anymore which was kind of cool to see because Mm. you know my mom paid for it working for it here Mm. too in the u.s Mm. she lives in germany technically so she has new no u.s income and my dad was the breadwinner in germany so that was really cool to be like, okay, now I'm like a full adult. Right. Now I'm not like, it, before it felt like I was a pretend adult, right? Like you're working, mm-hmm. but you're still kind of like benefiting off of living with your parents mm-hmm. or something like that. And then I was like, oh my God, I am the adult. Mm-hmm. Now I am the adult. So that was really cool. Um, so yeah. are you are you back in the US at that time or still surfing from coast to coast in Bali? No, I was only in Bali for like six weeks or okay. so. Um, I was back in the U.S. then, yeah. Okay. But I was still surfing a lot. So at this point, I'm freelancing. But I'm also exploring other things. I'm trying to shoot a surf documentary. Um, and, you know, kind of like juggling a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. And then kind of COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so you have these clients. Uh, were you doing what kind of, what kind of um, marketing were you doing back then for, for these clients exactly? I was functioning like their outsourced CMO, essentially. So helping them across the board just put together marketing strategy and execute on things like I was handling their emails. I was handling, 
it, it was really like an outsourced CMO mixed with an outsourced marketing manager. Because gotcha. I was both helping them with strategy and vision, as well as with the, which is like CMO stuff, as well as with the actual execution of it. Like I was going in and making emails and sending them. Um, so that was the service I was providing. Okay. And also like Facebook ads and, because I had a much more generalist experience back then. So with everything, with working with influencers, creating content, mm -hmm. like from A to Z, helping with the e-com website, making the landing pages, everything. Pretty much everything that one gets to do within the digital marketing world. Yeah. Okay. What I was doing essentially at Apartment 2B mm -hmm. and for clients at Banff Media, then I was repackaging and selling as a freelancer now. I get that. Okay. All right. So then COVID hit and um, what happened? Because I know for many people, things got way, way worse. And for some, things got actually better. Yeah, especially those in the in the digital marketing world, because now everybody is shopping and doing all the things yeah. from their laptop. Yeah, I mean, COVID hits and I'm very panicked. One, I'm really panicked because I made the unfortunate mistake of actually reading the news. So it happened and I started getting really worried because my mom was visiting me at the time. And so I went deep down into the news articles mm. and now I know not to do things like that anymore, but I was really worried and I was really worried for my business too. I was like, Oh my God, I'm, am I going to lose everything? I haven't really mm. built much yet. Right? Like I've only built like the baby steps. Mm. Like there's not, there's not much structure. It can get wiped out like this. And so I was really nervous, but it turned out to be a blessing for us because we were in e-commerce. Mm. So people started buying and buying and buying and I started getting really burnt out working with all the clients I was working with. And um, I hired this girl straight out of college just to be my assistant, basically. And what happened is that I trained her essentially as my replacement. And we kept getting more clients. And then I kept hiring more people. And then eventually I was like, oh, my God, I'm building an agency. Oh, like, wow. Whether I want to or not, I've started the process of building an agency. And then we kind of decided, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. And so we were branded from Melanie Bulky Consulting to the email marketers. Mm -hmm. We focused only on one service, which is email and SMS. Uh, we only focused on one specific type of client, which was e-commerce. And that's how the email marketers was born. Would you, would you say looking back at it, was it something that started growing rapidly when you, when you focused on email marketing only versus doing everything, you know, Facebook ads and, and you know, social media um, ad, paid ads and so on and so forth? I think it helped in terms of positioning a lot. So people were like, okay, this is the email marketing expert. I think even more so what it helped with was internal processes. So the reason I said let's focus on email and SMS is because I wanted to do one service and I wanted to do it at the highest level mm -hmm. versus doing six services and doing them kind of so-so. That was the main reason behind actually niching down. Yes, did it turn out to be a blessing on the marketing and sales side too? Totally. But the main reasoning was for me, like I wanted to be able to fulfill at a really high quality. So, you know, when I'm listening to you, it sounds like everything happened from, you know, you, 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 made, an, you made a step and then the next thing happened and the next thing happened. And somehow you were also kind of open to it. Uh, that that's the that's the feeling I get listening to you. 
but it also sounds very positive and you know all the things that you had you had to deal with sounds like you know it was easy it came easy to me were there also challenges or yeah. was it as much as a sunshine and rainbow that it sounds to me no i mean it was hard it was very hard many many times um i think I, I love that you're saying that I'm open to things because I try to be that. And like right now in our business is a very challenging time. And I'm mm. sure we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But whenever challenges come up, I tried, I just, you know, I'm woo-woo like that. But I go, the game is rigged in my favor. I'm like, the universe is rigged in my mm. favor. Whatever is happening, even if my limited human consciousness doesn't understand how this is for me, I guarantee it will be for me. And so... I think that really helps me overcome challenges. You know, again, when COVID hit it was really hard for me mentally because I was very worried about my business, but I was also very worried about my mom mm. and it was very doom and gloom. And so I was like, I was watching my mom like a hawk. Mm. This woman was not allowed to move. And you right. know, my mom is very independent and doesn't care what anyone thinks. But I remember my uncle would come over and I would literally watch making sure they're sitting six feet apart. Right. You know, <laughs> I was like that. Um, what helped me a lot is I read a book called The the Path to Surrender. So that helped me a lot through that mm. time. And then having clients, you know, when I first brought in team members, it was really hard because we we're also losing clients because we couldn't figure out like just the right process. So it was the first couple of times where I was like, oh, you know, you have to let people go when they don't do good work. Or, oh, you know, like, I'm going to try and keep people and pay people's salaries. Like there was a point where I was $60,000 in credit card debt. Now I look back at that now and I was like, wow, I was so calm considering I was $60,000 in credit card debt. But I was calm because I had a goal in mind. You know, I was, I was really compartmentalizing and ignoring that part mm. and going for the goal. But yeah, now I look back and I was like, that was pretty hard having $60,000 in credit card debt, you know, and just going like, how am I going to pay my rent this month? How am I going to be able to pay my employees this month? Um, so for sure there's challenges. I mean, this year was probably the most challenging year I've had mm. so far in business. You know, when I'm listening to, there is a gap, there is a call, there is a book by Dan Sullivan called The Gap and the Gain. Mm -hmm. And that's, this is actually where he, what he talks about. He talks about, hey, when we look at our life, we should also look how far we've come rather than what what are the challenges and what is missing and where is the lack and where is the gap in our life right and i also believe that one thing should not lead to okay now relax and chill and you know i've come so far and i don't need to do anything let's sit back and relax no but looking at how far we have come we can use that as fuel to, to keep going, to do all the things that we want to and we feel like we're here to do instead of saying, hey, uh, you know, there is so many things that I haven't achieved, I haven't done in my life and always somehow because because the, the horizon keeps always going further and further because mm -hmm. I believe as human beings we are always expanding. And that's the way it should be, right? We're always expanding means also growing, right? But at the same time, looking back and seeing how far we have come is a great thing, you know, to maybe sometimes also 
tap on our shoulders and be grateful for all the things that we have done and for all the support that we have got from we have gotten from the universe god whoever we believe in and also other people mm -hmm. right um so i can i can pretty much relate to what you're saying okay so um all right take us fast forward you know you 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 you're dealing with all these all these challenges in your business now you realize hey i have an agency i've built an agency without realizing it and what happens from there and you know what what what's going on and how did you get to where you are today and what's the situation like yeah i think a big you know a big factor that helped me get here was very early on i realized that i'm very impacted by the people i surround myself with mm. So even though I didn't have the money at the time, even though I was $60,000 in credit card debt, I joined a group called Baby Bathwater, which was a mastermind. And they were like $10,000 a year, and I, I was like, okay, I'll put it on the credit card, swipe. Mm. And I remember distinctly the first time I went to that event, I was kind of shocked because I looked at all these people that had really successful businesses, like eight-figure exits, nine-figure exits, eight-figure businesses, seven-figure businesses. And they were all cool. And I realized that day that in my head it was that I thought to be a successful business owner, you either had to be one of those people who are ruthless and only care about money or work, or you had to be scamming people. Like somewhere in my mm. subconscious there was this belief. and Or not scamming people, but you had to be like, it wasn't that I thought you had to be scamming people. It was that I thought you had to be one of those people just ruthlessly concerned about profit and not, not caring about anything else in life. And I met people there and like, these were surfers mm -hmm. like me. You know, these were people who were funny. Mm -hmm. These were people who were like four beers too deep. And suddenly I was like, oh my God, these are people just like me. I can do it too. And that kind of helped me fast forward to, to building a seven-figure business. And I remember when I, I always thought, once I have a seven-figure business, I've, I've made it. I've made it. At that point, what? I'm, I'm going to be like swimming in money, mm -hmm. right? Then you make a seven-figure <laughs> business, and you're like, there's not actually that much money left for me. <laughs> like Running businesses is expensive. Where's all this <laughs> money going? Um, and so like you're saying, the next goal happens, right? Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, now I want to build an eight-figure business. And in the journey of that, and this is, I think, one of my biggest learnings this year is my goal was always build an agency and build it really fast and build it really big and just don't stop the sprint until you get there and end of last year I felt like my health was really suffering from it mm. and then this year you know there's so many headwinds in e-com and we had so much stuff going down from like internal stuff with like team members to the headwinds in e-com to we literally just like this week I found out we're probably losing like 40% of our revenue Wow. just from existing wow. clients going bankrupt and the headwinds e-com is facing and taking things in-house. And so, you know, I try to just surrender to the fact that, one, this is the entrepreneurial journey. When I talk to other entrepreneurs, what makes me really happy is they go, yeah, I've been there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been there. Oh, yeah, that happened to me. Like, it doesn't matter what I bring up, you know, whether it's like, a super disgruntled employee when I think I've done everything in my, you know, in my power to, mm -hmm. to be not just a fair employer, but like the best employer there can be to, um, 
losing clients, even though it's not our fault. Everyone's always like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I've been there. So that's kind of what I'm trying to surrender to. Like there's growth mm-hmm. and it comes in plateaus and, and it's not linear. It's like a chaotic route. I actually can't even remember what your initial question was, Ali. I just got to the story somehow. Right. Don't worry. We're actually in a good spot. So, you know, when when you say when you say I learned to surrender and obviously there are challenges going on in your life, is there or was there a time that things got so hard that you as an entrepreneur and business owner or freelancer back then were like this is too hard. This is way harder than I ever imagined. And you know what? Let me just give up. Let me go get a job and do what I was doing before. Was there a time? My first question, I guess, is was there a time? And if yes, obviously you didn't give up and you're you're still here. What took you through it? So I'm not sure if we even need to ask the second question if the answer to the first one is no, there wasn't. I mean, yeah, there's there's... You know, I think there's times where I play with the idea all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's like me moping. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, when I heard the news about the revenue, I took a full day to mope. I was like, I was like numb, you know. And then the next day I wake up and I go, I'm going to trust the universe is working in my favor. Mm-hmm. What can I do now? And then I go and I get to work. And... So have I thought about giving up? Yes. Have I really thought about giving up? No. Mm. Because I talked to my therapist about this and I was like, kind of like what you just said. I was like, this is all just so much more difficult. This is really like taxing. Like I work way more than I would ever work in a job. I am emotionally constantly on a roller coaster. I blah, 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 blah. And then she was like, okay, well, this is, this is a question now. Are you really actually exploring a different route? Mm. And then I was like, no, obviously not. <laughs> like, I feel like for me personally, entrepreneurship is exciting. I still have gas left in me. I hope the universe doesn't take this as a, as a <laughs> sign to send me another challenge because I'm good on the challenges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm good on the challenges for this year. But yes, I've thought about it. What gets me through it is like the other option isn't that great either. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I don't know. I want to build something. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And again, I can relate to pretty much most of the things that you say as an entrepreneur myself who is going through another entrepreneurial phase of my life you know and I also believe what I or at least has been my life I always look at it that way when life gives me challenges I always say to myself hey life is preparing me for the next phase for the bigger reward in my life life is testing me in order to see Am I able to overcome this challenge to to, you know, to have more responsibility in my life, to to get whatever bigger, more important things sent my way? So but if I'm not even able to handle this one, then how can I handle a bigger challenge, a bigger business, a bigger mission, a bigger calling, whatever it might be, you know? So um, and then I'm like, okay, so let's get this one first done before we move on to a bigger one or before I expect a bigger thing to 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 come my way yeah and I can I just add one thing to that I love that you said that Um, I find that very inspiring I'm going to take that home with me I also the other way I look at it too is like is life just redirecting me so let's say like Mm -hmm. I told life hey I want to 
build an eight-figure agency. I want to build an eight-figure business. And let's say, you know, the let's call it the universe, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just go full mm-hmm. woo-woo. But this is my thought concept. And the universe goes, okay, cool, we can do that. But we're not going to be able to do that as an email agency with a done-for-you service. So, but I know unless you feel the pain, you're not going to make change. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut 40% of your revenue and let's see if you get creative and you actually find this other way that's going to be able to make you an eight-figure business in three years. So that's how I look at it. Because like what we're exploring now is we do, we were like very hardcore. We only do e-commerce because e-commerce is easy to do. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, okay, now we can do B2B and SaaS. We have the knowledge. We have the skills. Why don't we do B2B and SaaS as well? And the other thing is like I've always been very um, – our service is done for you. Mm-hmm. So we're literally your outsourced email department. And I've always been very against done with you, which is essentially we would give them our processes, our tools. Mm-hmm. They have like our team members they can speak to on calls once a week. And we help them build their internal team. And now I'm like, I just read about an agency that does $1 million a month with mm-hmm. their done with you and $2 million a year with their done for you service. So 12 million total, majority from they're done with you. And so I'm like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, maybe they, maybe it's just redirecting me, mm-hmm. right? That's a great point you bring up because I was going to ask you, you know, when you're pivoting in your, in your entrepreneur, but in your life in general, I believe we should always be, you know, focused and driven and dedicated to do the things that are hard. But then my question to you specifically is, where do you open yourself up in order to see the signs Mm -hmm. that universe is giving you and move on and pivot versus being, you know, so hard dedicated and committed to what you think is the right thing to do? Because I, in my own experience and life, have also seen that my ego is sometimes getting in my own way mm-hmm. you know sometimes it's like okay i need to do this because i can't do it but hey guess what if there is another way that is easier why not turn around and turn and take the other day mm-hmm. the other way the other door to get in you know alex banayan has a has a great book called the third door mm-hmm. where he talks about hey there is always a third door that most people don't want to see and don't see but there is always a third door to get into a nightclub, which is not the main door, which is not the VIP entrance. Yeah. But there is always a third door, but most people don't see it. So I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, when do you pivot and move on and, and get flexible in what you're doing? And when you just keep pounding on the same thing that you think is the right thing to do? That's a really good question. I don't know. I think... For me, a lot comes down to my gut feeling. There's a really good book by Michael Singer I just read, which I think is part of the reason I, I, I'm able, you know, life gives you the tools you need at the time you need them, mm-hmm. which is why I think I'm able to kind of navigate the current status, and it's called The Surrender Experiment. And his story is really interesting because he is a business school graduate, then gets into meditation, then basically has profound experiences and decides all he wants to do is go live on some acres in Florida and meditate. And then life keeps presenting him opportunities and he eventually ends up building a huge nonprofit, basically meditation center. 
and also a billion dollar software company. And so for me, I try to surrender and go, okay, what direction is life trying to pull me? And I, mm. I do rely, and maybe that's a female thing, but I rely on, a lot on my gut feeling. Mm. But I also question my gut feeling, right? I rely on my gut feeling and I question my gut feeling. So if I'm feeling like an anxiousness in my gut feeling, I always go, okay, is this a warning sign? Mm. Or is this me not liking that I'm out of my comfort zone? Because they can feel similar. But I still have feelings often guide me. And, you know, when you talk about the, th the, the times that things get hard and really challenging and, you know, struggles that comes with it, I have a wife, right? I have something that is so big that keeps me going, regardless of how hard it gets. And I'm not saying I'm, I have mastered it all. No, I haven't. But I'm working on it. Is that the same thing for you or is it just something you do without, you know, without overthinking it and just it comes naturally to you? Or is it something that there is something, there is a fire in you that keeps you going no matter how hard things get? I think, yes, my why for sure. Like my there was a time where I would say my why every morning, which is like to inspire humanity and my family. Um, I think f for me, it's just a belief. Mm. I remind myself that, you know, whether you believe something to be doable or you don't, you're right in both cases. Mm. And I don't know. I just believe in a bigger vision. I believe in a bigger vision. And I mm. think that's what keeps me going. I can, again, that's something I can resonate with, you know, because that is we all need something that keeps us going because things will get hard at some point i don't expect them to get hard but when i'm prepared i think it's also a different different thing being prepared or expecting things to get hard because guess guess what if you're expecting things to get hard you're sending out energy and i completely believe in that because i have experienced it in my own life more than only once but when you're prepared you know how to deal with it if it happens. But if yeah. it doesn't happen, you don't expect it to, to happen. Yeah. You know, um, is that something you have experienced in hey, your life? I think part of the reason I've been having such a hard year is because in, in entrepreneurship and business, I feel like as of recently, has gotten really fetishized that it's hard. Right. Like suddenly everyone just all they're talking about is how hard business is. And I think for a while, what happened is I was like, this is going too well for me. This is too easy. Mm. If I really want to grow bigger, it has to be hard. I think like people made me have this belief suddenly where it was like, you have to earn your stripes. You have to suffer mm. and then you will be granted mm. this great business. <laughs> and so I actually do think like I've gotten a little indoctrinated with people making me believe that it has to be hard, which is something I'm trying to unravel right now. Like I'm literally trying to tell myself, hey, Melanie, the more fun you have, the more money you're going to make. The more fun you have, the more successful your business is going to be. The more fun you have, the happier your employees are going to be. I'm really trying to rewire that belief because I do think, yes, is business hard? Yes. Going to work is also hard, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. having a mean boss is also hard. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think like, I think I'm a prime example of what you're saying, which is I think like I've been indoctrinated with it's hard, mm. it's hard so much that now I'm living the it's hard. Now I'm earning my, my stripes, you know? 
Now I'm going to have something to show for it. Once I'm an eight-figure business, I'm going to be able to say, yes, yes, but look, look at how I suffered over mm -hmm. there. You know, I, I deserve this. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I am literally the manifestation of what you were saying is that I saw that so often right. that I probably also am living a little bit of that now. Right. You know, and in my own experience, one thing that has helped me a lot is when things get really hard, I'm like, hey, this is going to be such an amazing story to tell my kids. Yeah. You know, if it was easy, then it would not be an amazing story like it is. Yeah. The harder it gets, the more amazing the story is. I just have to make sure I survive so I can, I yeah. can, I can, I can, you know, I can share the story. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been an amazing discussion so far. And, you know, before we wrap up, I would like to know now, you know, you you have made all these experiences and all these um, these being through all the things that you have been through good and maybe not so good. If you could back go back in time and tell yourself, you know, in 2016, maybe even before that. You know, just have a conversation with yourself and tell a few things that you would want to tell yourself. What would be the most important things that you would tell Melanie back then? I would say to keep a radically positive mindset has been what, what's been the most influential. You're the average of the five people you hang out with. Surround yourself with successful mm accomplished people, positive people, healthy people, kind people, and you will turn out to be that way. Um, hire a really good operations manager way sooner in your business journey. Hire a good number two way sooner than I did. And, you know, I guess don't be afraid to be vulnerable and don't be afraid to fail. And as long as you keep trying, you know, then there's no, there's no fail really because you're still trying. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that, but, but, um, to maybe enjoy the journey a little bit more. I think that's the biggest thing mm -hmm. not to try to rush the journey to actually like remember, oh no, the journey is the fun. Um, so to just enjoy the building versus trying to sprint through it and build this business fast. Like, why don't I build a business that I love so much? that I have so much fun being in, that I make so much money with, where I can see how much value I add to my employees and my clients, that I love it so much that I would never want to sell it. Mm. Versus like, how do I build a really big business and then I can sell it if I'm tired. So that's, yeah. And you know, I would like to add something to this, not just because you, 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 you took the time and came here to do this interview with me, but I see, I see what you're doing on social media, but also other people, how do they react to the things that you do? And I would say, you know, I would like to add to this to be proud of, of yourself. Look how far you've come and what you have built in your really young age. And as a, as a woman business owner, that's a rare thing, you know. You have accomplished a lot. You have helped a lot of clients of you. And, and you know, you have built an amazing team as far as I can tell because I've, I've, got, to, I've got to work with your agency at some point. It's, it's been some time, but, you know, that was an amazing experience. And I also believe you treat your clients' businesses like your own. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that I believe it's a rare thing to find these days. And that can go a, a long way when you when you just 
when you just look at their businesses uh, like it would be your own. So um, yeah, I would just like to tell you to tap on your shoulder and you know be grateful for yourself and the work that you have done and you do every day so yeah i appreciate that that's very sweet of you thank you absolutely so um melanie thank you so much for being here taking the time coming here because i believe every every interview like these interviews that we do you know is going to help someone who who has come or is planning or maybe has come to a new country and had no idea or has no idea what they're doing or think they have no idea what they're doing and what they're building and going through all the challenges, but also rewards that we get as immigrant entrepreneurs. And we, yeah, I hope we, we can inspire someone and influence someone and impact someone in a good way and positive way, you know, to just keep pushing and doing the things that are needed as business owners. So thank you so much for taking the time and coming here and helping me spread the world about immigrant entrepreneurship in this world. Yeah, Thank of course. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.